Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. And welcome to Ket's Angle. It's Ket Johansson here, and today got a very special guest that we're going to be delving into his career, his company with NYPW and the Malaysian pro wrestling scene. It's Shukat. Shukat, thank you for coming on. Oh, it's my honor to be here. Now, re- really excited about this. And um, when you uh, reached out after our message saying, like, hey, drop me a message, what I want to do is really spread the light on what other wrestling there is out there around the world and get to learn about the Malaysian pro wrestling scene, help other people learn about it. And you've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up, which we'll delve into. Um, so to start off with, like, about yourself, why why professional wrestling? <laughs> All right, um, so um, first thing I remember is I started watching wrestling when I was four years old, all the way yeah. back in 1992. Um, back then, my... Older brother would always rent out these VHS tapes of WWF back then. And the very first match that I watched was The Undertaker versus Kamala in a casket match. And being a kid, when I watched that match, I remember just falling in love with it because it was two larger-than-life characters going at it in the ring. Yeah. You have one Ugandan giant and one um, undead cowboy. And... Um, Somehow, at the age of four, I kind, of, I kind of understood what wrestling was. And my brother kept on renting those VHS tapes, and I kept watching it. So me and my whole siblings, five of us, all of us, we grew up watching wrestling. And yeah. we watch it. We watch it together and fell in love with it. But I was the only insane one who went and said, hey, I want to become a pro wrestler one day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it started out like how everybody... Dust, um, with me and my brother playing pro wrestling like uh, yeah. we used to play fight and I used to play fight with my pillows as well so um, <laughs> only um, <laughs> only when I was um, in the age of 23 I decided like um, you know what uh, maybe it's time to try this out seriously because since the passion is there why not yeah man so what was what was the scene like in Malaysia for somebody that was interested in breaking through in professional wrestling so this is the interesting story because um back then there was there wasn't a wrestling scene before i started yeah. so year by year i would always try to um switch up on the search engine for pro wrestling schools in malaysia and i couldn't find any so in 2014 sorry 2013 i remember um, i won a contest where i had the opportunity to meet um, booker t and oh, wow. have lunch with him. So um, I asked for his for his advice. I said, like, um, I really want to be a pro wrestler, but there's no reputable schools in Malaysia. There's not even a scene in Malaysia. So what would your advice be? And he told me that, you know what, man, you should be the first guy who do it. Because if you don't start it, then nobody else will because you've been searching for it for like over 15 years now. So I think you should take the first step. And I listened to his advice 
And here's the other interesting part is that I actually started out um, pro wrestling in Malaysia being self-trained. I got the um, DVD set from Tom Howard and I also got Dr. Tom Pritchett's um, syllabus set. So yeah. I started training on my own because I have, I'm actually a stuntman by profession uh, in the yeah. film industry. So I would say that um, being a stuntman is not too far away from being a pro wrestler. So I picked up very fast and that's when I started with Malaysia Pro Wrestling. Wow, like to teach yourself, like especially you mentioned you had like the syllabus of Dr. Tom Pritchard. Did you find it hard or testing at times? Like did you think, yep, this is still what I'm going to do? Or was you thinking, is it really going to work? To be honest, when I first started, I was doubtful that it was going to work because um, it's so different in other countries where wrestling is a thriving industry. There's a lot of schools and reputable trainers. Like for me myself, I had to try and you know try things out and <laughs> make sure that they're correctly done. I didn't have yeah. anyone showing me the ropes or telling me like what is right and what is wrong. But thankfully, um, nobody got hurt throughout the entire process uh, because I was able to break down the moves based on stunts, uh, my stunt experience. Yeah. And the best thing about Tom Pritchett's syllabus is that he focuses more on psychology and storytelling. And yeah. that pretty much made me mature a lot faster in pro wrestling uh, because from what I understand, a lot of um, people in the independent scene like um. They focus more on what to do in the ring, like uh, what cool stuff should I pull out this week and whatnot. So like for me, the way I train was very, very old school. And my students picked up very fast as well because we grew from just four students. We put on our first show and we impressed the uh, the audience who came. It was just like 80 of them, first show. It was just, yeah. like, it was just like a backyard kind of show. And um, we grew from people uh, making fun of us on the internet uh, to now we have about like 50,000 fans on Facebook and we have a lot of subscribers on Patreon, we have guys watching from um, from the UK, Australia and US and it's a crazy scene now. We, we draw 300 to 500 crowd easily. Wow. And how do you, like, you should take some sense of pride. Like, essentially, that makes you like the godfather of Malaysian wrestling. <laughs> that's true that's what they call me <laughs> <laughs> so how to have that like reputation and to go from right i just want to do it there's no schools right i've got four students right i've got some more students and now you're drawing 300 to 500 um people in live attendance and you're getting watched all around the world like how does that feel it feels amazing to know that i'm able to grow something from nothing and make it into something that's thriving. And we have like a deep roster now of about 30 plus wrestlers. And most of them have been going out. Like um, they have been wrestling in other countries outside of Malaysia as well. Um, for example, one of my students, um, I think she's very, very well known. Her name is um, Noor Phoenix Diana. Yeah. She, <laughs> she's known as the uh, world's first CJB pro wrestler. She, she went viral to a point where when uh, WWE's Sheamus came down to Malaysia to promote WWE, like he recognized her in the crowd and caught her oh, wow. to the front and raised her hand. And, and it's, it's a crazy thing that WWE guys recognize my students. And it yeah. pretty much shows that um, I've been doing things the right way. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. And um, regarding like Nordiana, she was she came over to the UK for Pro Wrestling Eve, which is one of the best all women's re- well, one of the best wrestling companies. Period, regardless of gender. And she was received really well by the audience there. And so, how how does that feel to know that she's blown up that well and she's gone to these other countries like the UK and she's proved that she can essentially hang with the best of them. Uh, I, it was a proud moment for me. Like um, I actually had tears at the corner of my eye when I watched her debut on Fight TV. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I read the, the reviews of fans who watched the show and watched live. Uh, a lot of them were saying good things about her, like how she had, she had something special in her to a point where she even outshined um, some of the vets. Yeah. And this was a collective, uh, collective thought coming from different fans and it is something that made me proud because um, like like I said like I've always been doubtful of myself because I'm self-trained like I never knew what if what I'm teaching them is right or wrong and so apparently when she made it and I read those comments and everything about her kind of makes me uh, feel proud of myself and I'm also proud that I'm able to do my students justice by allowing them to um, perform and get recognized yeah and speaking of like whilst we're on the topic of your students um i believe Eman the kid he's in australia at the moment working on the australian scene so again like i know Eman's somebody worked in the ring and now he's in australia doing really good things not just used by one or two promotions but more or less every single promotion in australia are using him like what was your thoughts on the big 2019 that he had in australia I feel, I feel that um, he definitely made us proud in Malaysia. Uh, he had his amazing match with um, Robbie Eagles as well, not just once but twice. And those matches were amazing matches. And I loved how he was able to um, change the mind of the doctors and the because every time when he made his debut in certain promotions, they don't know who he is yet. So when they watch him, they would obviously you know cheer for him because um, he's very small and he looks like a kid. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a baby <laughs> in the ring. Um, and it's only his fourth year, I think, um, training in wrestling. And um, it's something that I'm very proud of uh, to see him flourish like this and being in, on the radar of a lot of promotions in Australia. But what made me proud, proud as the most is that um, for someone who has trained for four years, he's able to hang with guys like Robbie Eagles and a lot of um, Australian vets. So it kind of shows that um, our training method works and that pretty much is something that I need to be thankful for to Uncle Tom Pritchard as well. Yeah. What was what was your reception when you was starting it? What was, say, your family or maybe your co-workers? You mentioned you was a stuntman and um, pro wrestling Malaysia. All everyone knows is WWE. And here you are thinking, you know what, I'm going to start my own promotion. I'm starting my own wrestling school. How was that received? It was terribly received. <laughs> like... um. For starters, the only person who was supporting me was was my siblings, my sisters, and my wife. Yeah. But everybody else thought I was bonkers <laughs> because it's pro wrestling. And um, sad thing is, the mainstream crowd, the mainstream audience, only recognizes WWE. And yeah. whatever we attempt to do turns out, you know, according to them, is only an imitation of WWE. So it's something very difficult for me to break out of, especially because the first year I only had four students for the entire year. So I was struggling with rent. I was struggling with running costs because it was just four students. 
Yeah. And uh, it was one of my first students was Eman the kid, and I had um, three more guys. And Eman was a he was a child. He was thirteen when he joined Malaysia Wrestling. And then wow. the other three guys, <laughs> yeah, the other three guys. One of them was skinny. The other two of them was out of shape. So it was very difficult for me to convince the audience that um, we had something serious going on. And I believe I was only able to convince them after our very first show. It was called um, yeah. PG Mania. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when did things start changing? Like when people are actually, you're getting the 300 to 500 crowd? Because obviously that's not just built in a day. When did you start thinking, actually, we've got something special here? I believe that um, uh, we started picking up steam after our show called uh, My PW Uprising. It was in 2016. So that's two years yeah. after we set up Mr. Wrestling. And that show, we had guys coming in from Singapore, Vietnam, and Philippines. So I kind of made it look like an international affair. Had a lot of um, other regional guys coming in. And in fact, I was actually the, one of the first few promoters who dared to bring in regional guys to, um, to, a, to a local show. Because yeah. um, it was... It was very, it was something very risky, I'd say, especially because of the cost of the flight and everything. But I believe that um, if you want people to take you seriously, then you have to make something, something amazing for people to watch. And after we did my PW Uprising in 2016, that was when press started to notice us, and yeah. they covered us, and we came out in newspapers and on the TV and whatnot. And that was when more and more fans started watching us and taking us more seriously. Yeah. So going to like your career, what was it like when that first match you're in front of a crowd? Like how many people was in the crowd for that first match of yours? And how do you think, how do you feel that went? <laughs> the first <laughs> match um, was actually uh, the very first uh, official match that we had was a birthday party. <laughs> it was a, it's something that you know we have to do to get things started but um i was just in the zone because um everyone who went and watched the show uh, nobody cared except for the children because it was something fun but um yeah. all the adults were like making fun of us they uh they scoffed at us and whatnot but i didn't care about that because like i focused on the kids who were entertained by what we were doing in the ring so at first i think my first match wasn't wasn't something that I'm uh, proud of, uh, performance-wise. But that's that's life. I mean, like we always laugh at the things that we do. I don't. I don't, I don't think ever. <laughs> every, everybody that I've spoken to, when we talk about that first match, and they're like, yeah, don't really want to speak about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, I think I've only matured performance-wise all the way in 2018. That's like um four years after I've started it for wrestling. But um. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, the first match we had, it was a birthday show. And then after the birthday show, it was a comic convention. Uh, comic convention, it was pretty well received because um, wrestling is new in Malaysia back then. They yeah. had only, you know, like, cosplay stuff. And uh, and they have people, uh, performers coming up to do um, anime songs and whatnot. So when you suddenly have a pro wrestling show with a ring, everyone's bound to be attracted to it. So we had thousands of people watching us for that show. But I, I still wasn't proud of my performance back then. It was still something very cringy if I look look at it back again. Yeah. But it's an amazing experience. Like, we always learn from our past. Yeah. Like, you've gone on to, obviously, you've got Malaysian Pro Wrestling. 
but you've also been working in other places around Asia. You've had a uh, Philippine wrestling revolution where you've worked, where you've worked for um, Singapore uh, pro wrestling as well. What was it like when you've been contacted by these promoters and they're like, actually would like to fly you and would like to bring you into our company? What was that like? So when um, Malaysia, first, uh, Malaysia pro wrestling first started, we started, we started posting out um, all these highlight videos and whatnot. That was when we started getting noticed because a lot of them uh, commended me on my striking in the ring because it looks very, very brutal. Uh, but I pride myself on being one of those guys who look absolutely brutal in the ring, but I'm the lightest worker that you <laughs> ever worked with. And you'll have fun working with me as well because um, I make you look like, you, like you're about to die, but you don't feel anything. Yeah, <laughs> It uh, pretty much comes from the stunt background. of so I'm so used to controlling my limbs and everything and whatnot. So um, a lot of them took notice with my striking, and that was when um, they started wanting, wanting to book me. And I also believe that I have the, uh, the look that a lot of people don't have in Southeast Asia, which is I'm yeah. built, and I have the uh, facial expression and everything down, thanks to my stunt background as well. I've been on films and whatnot, so I think it kind of helps me with uh, my performance as well. So um, they took notice of that and they started booking me. I have um, Sing- from Singapore. I have performed with um, SPW Singapore Pro Wrestling and Grapple Max. For uh, Philippines, I performed with um, Manila Wrestling Federation and uh, Philippine Wrestling Revolution. And um, every single time when I perform with them, they, they enjoyed me being there. Um, and I've always been built as usually the co-main event or the main event, and I'm always in a main program with the superstars. So it's something very enjoyable um, to know that um, I started out from nothing to being one of the main eventers and the top cross yeah. of the of the region. How do you? What's it like being received by a different audience? And like in like I mentioned, Godfather of Malaysian Pro Wrestling, but you go to the Philippines or Singapore, and you're not that local boy anymore. Like. Did it take some adjustment to when you first got in front of that different crowd or was you received really well? So um, I come with a repetition, um, being the godfather of Mitchell Pro Wrestling, so that <laughs> pretty much carries weight. So every time when I make an entrance, um, especially in Singapore, they hate me because um, Malaysia and Singapore are neighbours and, you know, like neighbouring countries, we always hate yeah. each other and whatnot. So um, I always come out to um, booze and cheers and whatnot. But uh, thankfully for, uh, I think... The beauty of uh, Tom Pritchett's training is he focuses on psychology and storytelling. So I do believe that as long as your psychology and storytelling is solid, you are able to evoke the emotions of the audience accordingly. So usually I would come out uh, with people uh, jeering and booing me, but ending up with people chanting, please come back at the end of my matches, like every single time, wherever I go. So I think that's a special trait that I have. And ever since then, I've been received amazingly. Like um, in Singapore, I'm such a big name there. People wait to see my matches. Uh, when I go to Philippines, I'm treated like a superstar. Like uh, they have um, uh, media interviews and whatnot lined up for me. Yeah. So it's, it's, amazing. it's an amazing experience to be this big in uh, the region. How I want to go to the stuntman stuff because that's something um, I think is really unique. Like... What made you get into being a stuntman? Pro wrestling. Because <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I've always wanted to become a pro wrestler. And unfortunately, there wasn't any school in Malaysia. So the closest thing I could get to is um, 
I I first um, joined um, Muay Thai, Muay Thai uh, yeah. boxing, and I fought professionally uh, with a record of 28, uh, 28 fights in total, pro- professional fights. Oh. And I fought with guys from um, Thailand, from Myanmar and whatnot. And my record is um, 24 wins, uh, three loss and one draw. A pre- I'm pretty, pr- pretty prideful of my uh, professional Muay Thai results yeah. because it's, it's something that carries weight to pro wrestling as well, especially when you have shoot experience. And yeah. then I have a pro MMA uh, record of uh, four fights as well, three wins and one loss before I retired. <laughs> and wow. uh, so um, after I did all this fighting stuff, that was when um, I got interested in doing stunts because I found out that pro wrestling is something like a live action stunt show, kind of. Yeah. So that was when I decided, you know what, I can't be a wrestler. So the closest thing that will work for me is going to the stunt industry. So that was when I started learning how to do stunts and whatnot. So I was often hired uh, to do screen fighting and choreography and whatnot. So that was uh, actually the place where I built my craft and striking and whatnot because um, I am able to make things look convincing without hurting my <laughs> without hurting yeah. my partners. So. I believe that my stunt background is a huge advantage in pro wrestling, and it has been commended by people from all around the world. Oh no, that's that's really interesting. So going back to like the um, working with different territories and things like that, I've seen through like social media that's something you're big on is trying to bring these um, different territories within Asia together, working together. I think you had something lined up with a company in China before all this happened as well. What, What's your thought process on getting all these companies working together? All right. I love this question, actually, because um, this is something that I don't get asked often. And it's something that I'm very passionate about as well, as you see in my social yeah. media and whatnot. Um, like, um, I do believe that pro wrestling in Southeast Asia is, we are all babies. We are in our infancy stage. Like, the oldest promotion is like six years old. Six years old wow. is nothing is compared to, <laughs> yeah, it's nothing is compared to the um, industry in the UK, United States, or Australia. So six years um, in the business pretty much means you are very, very young. And I do believe wholeheartedly that if all of us want to thrive together, we have to do it together. We have to support each other. So that was actually one of the first reasons why I brought in guys from Philippines, Singapore, Vietnam uh, to come on my first show. Because I wanted to prove to everyone else that, you know what, if we work together, all of us can strive together. And that was actually true. Because when I brought in guys from uh, PWR, that was when everyone else in Singapore and Malaysia knew about PWR and they started following PWR and then they started following Vietnam Pro Wrestling because I brought in Guerrero Saigon and Dick Togo who owned, uh, Dick Togo, who owned uh, the Vietnam promotion as well. Yeah. So that promotion got pretty well known as well by Malaysians and Singaporeans and the Singapore scene, they found out about Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam and whatnot because it's such a small community. Everyone follows everything. So I do believe that the best way that all of us can thrive is for all of us to help each other instead of trying to, you know, like um, my promotion is the best promotion or my promotion is the best promotion. Like, yeah, I don't get, I don't understand why they, they, uh, there have to be some sort of um, competition among us. Like, it's okay to have healthy competition in the sense where, you know what, uh, this promotion has the best um, marketing strategies. Yeah. So maybe we should try to top them up. Or this promotion has the best quality wrestling. 
you know, boys, you guys need to um, work harder and we need to um, look as good as them. Uh, one of the things that I always use to um, motivate my boys is this method. You know, like I always, I always tell them, like, look, boys, if you look at Singapore wrestling, you'll see that most of the wrestlers there are in shape. Like all of them go to the gym. They look like um, actual wrestlers and whatnot. So I think you guys, all of us need to step up. You guys need to go to the gym. We need to look like them because, you know, like, um, so that's my idea of good yeah. competition. Uh, but we have a lot of um, very negative and toxic stuff going around in the industry in such a young age. Six years is nothing. So it's, it saddens me to see um, a lot of these promotions are actually bickering among each other rather than trying to support each other. So I'm, a, I'm such a strong believer of all of us having to work with each other for us to you know, actually branch out even more. And yeah. um, I do hope that one day that um, everyone gets on the same page and try to help each other. Even the ones within the country, you know, like how Philippines we have um, PWR and MWF in the same country. Yeah, uh, the same same city as well. Oh, so wow. um, yeah, I do understand uh, they might have that competition when it comes to um, uh, drawing fans and whatnot. But I do believe that there's a way we can discuss things out. Like you know what, uh, maybe my show, I'll be doing it this month. Yours maybe the following month, or maybe like two weeks apart and whatnot. Because in my experience, I've performed uh, in MWF and PWR back to back, like um, yeah. on a Friday at MWF and on a Saturday at PWR. Both shows sold out. No problems whatsoever. So I don't see the reason why any of us should have any beef with, with each other. Um, we just need to help each other and um, try to uh, thrive together. Now, I'm glad you said that because in the UK, um, the scene has kind of blew up. You've mentioned two promotions in the same city. We've We've got the same where some smaller cities still might have three, four different promotions working in there and you do get some of the bickering and the politics, shall we say, but then you get some companies where they'll try and use, again, a bit like yourself, just local regional talent, in, whilst all the other companies may want to bring in all the imports of the bigger names, they're focusing on the homegrown talent and building the foundations up there and then they're wanting to work with other companies. So it's good to see that you've got that mindset yourself because if you if all these different markets are growing alongside your company then it's all it's going to be lucrative for yourself your company may be able to tour or you're going to have a lot more people aspiring to be professional wrestlers because the scene's more noticeable and it isn't some unattainable fantasy which wwe may have seen at the beginning so it's really good to see that you've got that mindset uh, thank you. Um, I appreciate you appreciating me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was? Did you get any like um, backlash regarding any of it? Like you said, some companies are bickering, and here you are trying to bring everybody together. Have you had any resistance? And how do you well, work around that? <laughs> I, I like no one has said it verbally to me, but I do believe that I've got some pretty good heat on myself for trying to become a peacemaker. But I think yeah. um, it comes with the with the territory. Like um, even great guys uh, in history, like for example Martin Luther King, for example, he's he has amazing ideologies and whatnot. But there are still haters for him. I'm not yeah. comparing myself to the great Martin Luther King, <laughs> but um, what I'm saying is that it comes with the territory. 
So um, I do believe that I have some heat with me um, to a point where I believe some of them distance uh, themselves from me. Because, yeah, um, yeah like, uh, I can actually feel that, like, being distanced, like, uh, they used to be close with me. But when I start preaching about, you know, how we need to work together and whatnot, and then they'll start distancing themselves from me because um, they don't want to get hit because of associating themselves with me. So that's why I yeah. do believe wholeheartedly because, like, um, before I started preaching this, uh, I, I didn't talk about it mainly because I didn't have a voice back then. But these days I have a lot of followers and uh, I'm very influential in the industry as well. So I'm starting to become more brave. And I don't think that um, it's a bad thing because I'm, I'm sharing things that I am passionate about. And I believe that it's something positive for everyone, like you mentioned, like how it, it is in the UK. Yeah. So um, I do understand why they are distancing themselves from me. And I understand that um, because it's such a young industry, everybody still wants to get booked everywhere. So I do understand that um, they don't want secondhand hit coming from me. But it's yeah. okay. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> do you look at like Japan as a business model? Um, obviously, you've got different companies like All Japan, New Japan, Stardom, and they've all got their own identity as well. Like, Do you look at Japan as the way to mold Malaysian pro wrestling? Like, what can people expect if they watch NYPW? I think one of the unique um, traits that Malaysia Wrestling has is I try to incorporate the realism of Japanese wrestling with the storytelling of Western wrestling. Because like, uh, if you focus too much on uh, Japanese wrestling, it's mainly um, two guys fighting to win a match. Yeah. They don't focus much on um, storylines and storytelling and whatnot. But if you watch Western wrestling, it's very dramatic. Uh, it's very storytelling-centric. But um, they tend to be more spot-focused rather than trying to create realism that two guys are actually going at it. So um, what I try to do is I try to mix the balance of realism based on my standard experience uh, as well as um, the storytelling of Western wrestling. And I think it's a beautiful combination because people are starting to buy into it. And like my work have been seen by guys outside in the States as well. And I've received nothing but um, positive remarks on our style of wrestling. Something that I'm very, very proud of. And um, speaking of Japanese wrestling, um, I do believe that it's a huge industry there to a point where they even have this um, stadium. I, I think it's called a Kurakuen Hall where, yep. where it rents out a whole wrestling venue for dojos and whatnot to do shows but that's how huge it is and i feel that they have shows like on daily basis and whatnot um but the thing is just like in the states uh new japan is the biggest uh, power there so all the other promotions are trying their best to um find ways to try to thrive as well uh, which brings me to um i've tried to strategize uh, by approaching all these smaller promotions like ajpw noah and whatnot and I've received response from uh, Pro Wrestling Noah, and yeah. they are interested to talk with me to see how we can work together because they admit that they are in trouble and they admit that New Japan is the king of Japanese pro wrestling. So um, they have to branch out as well. So I'm very interested to know that um, what might come out of this. Now, that'd be really interesting. Like, Noah and DDT have just kind of joint forces like they've got the same owner now and i think they're trying to do a lot more like you said a lot more different stuff to make it make it different and i think they have been a little bit more bolder i believe 
they, I think it was Noah that ran Cork and Hall alongside one of the days of Wrestle Kingdom at the exact same time. And that that takes some balls in itself um, to try and do that. So hopefully, like, once this pandemic's over and things have, uh, the restrictions have been lifted and stuff like that, it'd be really interesting to see what had come from yourselves and Noah working together. And I think it, it'd be another piece of that puzzle of you being like a hub of working with all these different promotions in Asia. Yeah, like uh, we have, um, like you mentioned previously, like uh, I've, I'm trying to work with um, MKW from China. So um, if I can get guys from India, I can get guys from Japan, Japan, uh, Japan as well, then pretty much um, solidifies our position in Asia as, you know, like the peacemaker <laughs> trying, yeah. trying to grow the industry here. No, that's that's good. I, I want to go back to what you were saying to your students of, hey, look at Singapore Pro Wrestling, the role in shape and things like that. And that's not just something you're saying like just off the cuff. It's something you've kind of lived by as well. Um, on social media, you showed a picture from yourself from April 2018. And then fast forward two years and I'll whilst we're talking like when i edit there will be some picture that everybody can see right now um <laughs> but from that transition just two years like what what inspired that like what made you think because it, it's not easy work um the first thing that i had in mind was because i'm trying to create this character called the prophet of pain uh not it's not an actual prophet but um he uses the he coins the term prophet mainly because he delivers pain, that kind of thing. So like for me, I do believe that when I when I try to get into a character, I would treat it like how I would get into character when I'm filming a film and whatnot. Yeah. So like I would sit in front of the mirror and I take a look at myself and I ask myself like, um, do I look like the prophet of pain? And um, the first thing that I thought to myself like, nope, <laughs> I don't look like the prophet of pain because. Um, in 2018, I was um, overweight. I had very high percentage of body fat. Um, my muscles were not showing. And um, professional wrestling is a very, very visual business. And humans are also, are also very visual creatures because they tend to um, bet on the guy who has more muscles, unfortunately. <laughs> like uh, psychological-wise, um, people believe that you can fight as long as you're built like a tank. Yeah. So... It's something that comes to the business, and I, I told myself, like, hey, if I want to get into character, I have to lose the fat, and I need to get in shape and so I can portray it more effectively. And at the same time, that was the moment when I was, when I was telling my boys, I said, like, look, um, I'm going to go into this journey. I'm going to shred, shred up and look like a proper wrestler and whatnot. I hope you guys can come along with the journey with me. So, um a lot of them, you know, like, um, it's very difficult to motivate someone uh, if they don't see something visual. So yeah. I thought that um, maybe I should, start, I should start first and go through the journey myself. And once I have something to show, maybe they follow along. And so my main aim was basically, first, the first of all is to get into character. And second was to inspire my students as well. So uh, just later, um, still having a hard time inspiring my students. <laughs> no, I can... It can be hard, and like for inspiration, you mentioned you'd seen the transformation of Jinder Mahal, where Jinder, before his WWE release, he didn't really have a physique that stood out, and then he's he came back, he's one of the best shapes on the entire roster, and that led to him becoming WWE champion. Is that something that 
you look down for actually, and I need to emulate that. Exactly, like um, Jinder Mahal is one of my biggest inspiration when it comes to trans- transformation because um, his transformation was crazy. Like when he came back with that entire new look, everyone's hit turn. He made headlines in every, um, not just pro wrestling websites, but um, on sports news and whatnot because he looked different. And the entire fitness community was talking about him, uh, even on YouTube, on um, Reddit. Fitness community that do not follow pro wrestling. Everyone was talking about him. He was turning hits. So that pretty much proves that um, you need to have the physique to turn hits in pro wrestling. Yeah. So um, his transformation definitely inspired me. And um, I do believe that it had, it had helped him tremendously as well um, to, be, to get where he is today. Yeah. Um, so going back to your career again, I've seen um, you had matches with people like Tajiri. You've been in the ring with um, Hurricane Shane Helms. Like, I want to talk about that Tajiri match. Like, how did that come about, and what was that experience like for you? All right. So um, during that period of time, um, I was lucky enough to find myself sponsors to um, have uh, shows. So um, with sponsors, that was when I decided, like, you know what? Um, since we have the money, let's go big. Let's go crazy. So the first uh, person I brought down was um, Shane Erickson Helms, and the next yeah. person was Tajiri. And um, I believe wholeheartedly that I leveled up immediately after working with these two. Like they changed my mindset on pro wrestling. They changed the way I work on pro wrestling. Um, they taught me a lot of things uh, during the time spent with them because the both of them um, spent a week in Malaysia. So it was just. Wow me spending time with them and them coaching me and whatnot, giving me advice. And both of them had very um, great advice that made me mature and uh, level up as a performer. What was the advice that um, Shane Helms gave you then? Shane Helms um, was the guy who taught me how, like in pro wrestling, it's not about the things you do in the ring, but it's about the story that you want to sell and the emotion that you can evoke out out of the audience. That is the most important aspect. And he also taught me um, like how to work better as a babyface and how to work better as a heel and how to construct a proper match, um, which makes which made a lot more sense. So he, he was very, very old school. Um, like uh, he was the kind of guy who would always share with me wisdom about all his previous matches and whatnot. But uh, he was the first person who told me like, um, dude, um, I'm proud of you. You are self-trained. Uh, it's, it surprised me that you're self-trained because when I worked with him, he felt like I had a lot of experience under, under me as well. So um, he was the first person who told me that I was going through the right direction. And it was yeah. such a relief because like, I never knew what I was doing. And when he told me that, it was such a big relief for me. And that was when I decided, like, you know what? Um, Shane Hurricane Helms says this about me. I'm pretty sure that I'm doing things right. Yeah. Um, so, like, fast forward to Tajiri, like, Tajiri, again, like Shane, absolute legend in the industry. What was the experience, like, standing across the ring from Tajiri? I still remember um, meeting him in person. Um, he is very soft-spoken. Um, he is very um, mysterious. Uh, he, pulled, uh, he, he ripped me in a way where um, apparently he knows how to speak English very well. But um, when we met, he kind of pretended like he couldn't speak English. So um, he was just uh, trying to rip me in that sense. <laughs> but um, we started to get to know each other better um, through lunch. And then we met a lot. And um, 
But the thing about Tajiri was um, he's very different in a sense of um, putting up a match uh, as compared to Shane Eric Helms. Tajiri was the kind of guy who would, you know, like uh, he would sit down with me and the first thing he told me, like, um, you know what? I know I'm, I know I'm a lot more of a vet than you are. I know I have a lot more experience than you are, but right now we are colleagues. You are on the same level as I am. So I want you to be, uh, I want you to have equal say in this match. I want you to be as equally creative. I want you to put in your stuff. So tell me what you want to do. Uh, so I was surprised because um, with Shane Harrigan Helms, it was different because he set everything and he was calling me at the back and he was telling me, you do this, 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 this. Uh, so my creativity was limited in some ways. Yeah. And I don't blame him because I was very green and I think he didn't trust me just yet. But um, Tajiri, after he, he basically he needed to watch my match before um, he wanted to, to wrestle me. Like when I wanted to book him, he was like, do you have uh, your match that I can watch? Yeah. So I sent him my match with the Hurricane. That, that was when he thought, okay, all right, so I'll do it with you. So when he came down, we sat together and said like, uh, first things first, uh, tell me what you want to do. I'll, I'll make you look like a champ. And um, second thing he taught me was um, in pro wrestling, um, whatever you see in a ring is uh, emulated. And if someone tries to stiff you, you, you knock the shit out of them back. Like never <laughs> take, <laughs> ne- never take potatoes. Like you always need to give back the seats. Because yeah. Uh, yeah, like uh, the, I do believe that the um, Southeast Asian industry is still green, so everyone wants to look like a badass, and it ends up with them stiffing the shit out of each other unnecessarily. So uh, the JD's advice was: if someone stiffs you, just beat the shit out of them, especially because you have shoot background. Shouldn't yeah. be so nice. <laughs> he was telling me, you shouldn't <laughs> be so nice. Someone hits you, hit them back even harder. So, all right, cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> we sat down, we planned our match. Uh, we were calling it um, at the back for like about 10 minutes before we went out. So, it was nerve-wracking for, <laughs> it was nerve-wracking for me because uh, with Shane Hurricane Helms, uh, we kind of went through the match earlier on. Yeah. Like, we arrived, we met, had a, shook hands, sat down, called the match and whatnot. But with Tajiri, uh, he didn't want to talk to me. He was warming up, was doing his stuff. And uh, just before our match, he came up to me. All right, so let's talk. So I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> damn. <laughs> so that was the first time of uh, me uh, doing a match, mainly calling it on the fly. Because um, yeah. he, he wanted it that way. He wanted to do it. He wanted to teach me the experience. It was very, very fun. Um, so we went to the ring. He took real good care of me. He called um, everything up to a point when he started to guess out. <laughs> so um, he asked me to, to take over. So I took over, I started calling and um, controlling the match as well. And after the match, uh, he came up to me and said like, um, he asked me like, how many matches do you have? Uh, sorry, how many matches have you wrestled in? So I said, um, at that point, I had less than 20 matches, to be honest, like uh, yeah. when I wrestled Tajiri. And he, he was surprised, he said like, uh, no way, like, um, you wrestle like someone who has wrestled over 100 matches. So I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the second time um, a legend told me that um, I'm doing things right. So that pretty much um, solidifies whatever that I'm training is something something good. Yeah. Is there anybody else on that list that you're wanting to bring out to Malaysia Pro Wrestling? Uh, before the uh, sponsors dropped out, um, there were quite a lot of names like... Um, at that point, I was I was supposed to wrestle um, 
what was his name again? He just got released by WWE at that point. Ah, it was um Austin Aries. Yeah. Austin Aries, um, followed by Chavo Guerrero. Like I touched base with them, I checked their booking price and whatnot, and it was agreeable. But unfortunately, the sponsors dropped out and didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that for a little bit then, because in business, nothing's ever straightforward. And there you've had it. You've had some sponsors backing you, which you ended up getting Shane Holmes and you ended up getting Tajirian. But then they've gone, so you've kind of had to adapt your business style again. What was that change like for you? It was actually very frustrating because um, um, in a way, it wasn't the sponsor's fault. We had a middleman who did the sales. So basically, he was a guy who would approach sponsors and try to get um, money and whatnot. So um, eventually, I found out that um, he was giving us only a portion of what we were supposed to get. And he ran with the entire, (laughs) with everything else. So um, it kind of left us hanging. Um, At that point, he was only paying the international superstars who were on the card. But he didn't pay yeah. all the local guys. Uh, he didn't pay for the rental and whatnot. He didn't pay for the camera uh, camera crew because he has paid enough to get the draw coming in so he can get the crowd in. But uh, everything else he ran away with. So um, that was something very hurtful for me and the crew because at the same time, I've lost uh, the respect and I've lost the um, some of my friends who were with me back then because it was me. Uh, when we set that small promotion app called AWE, uh, Asia Wrestling Entertainment. I got a lot of close friends to help me out, like with um, the cameras and uh, to help me with the management side and some of the wrestlers who were with me since since the beginning. A lot of yeah. them started leaving me because they thought I was a part of it. But um, it, it was very, very hurtful for me as well. Um, and it, it hurt the industry as well because uh, everyone became demotivated after the entire incident and ordeal. It was, it's something huge, actually. Like, everyone in South Asia knows about the story. Um, but I always believe that um, if you get kicked down, you have nothing else to do but to get up and continue forward. Yeah, that must be hard. Um, and I've just been looking from, like, the AWE days. Um, was it yourself that had kind of control what talent you'd want to bring in? Or was it essentially this middleman that was trying to get whoever he wanted um it was my call because the middleman he was just a business guy uh, he has contacts to sponsors and whatnot yeah so he sold he sold our product as a wrestling show and um there were some sponsors who were buying into it uh, but unfortunately because um he ran away with everything including the uh the gate the gate money and whatnot yeah. So ended up with sponsors not trusting us anymore. So everyone dropped out and everything just fell apart. I hope like eventually that may change and they may see the stuff you're doing with Malaysia Pro Wrestling. Um, was it yourself that picked out British Strong Style to come over then? Because I know the show that you faced Hurricane, you had Pete, Trent and Tyler across. <laughs> it was a stack card. <laughs> it yeah. was a stack card. Um, yeah, uh, I actually wanted to bring in um, Mustache Mountain, which was yeah. Turn 7 and um, uh, Tyler Bate. But then um, they offered, it's like, hey, you know what? Pit Dunn is free on those dates, so maybe you want to bring him along. And I said, like, I don't think I can afford Pit Dunn. And we decided on a cost that, that um, we could afford. Yeah. And I was very thankful for that experience because they brought him down, he brought his title down. And I think 
the show was filled and it was sold out mainly because of the British Song Child because they are part of the mainstream wrestling that people watch. Yeah. Especially youngsters. Uh, a lot of them didn't know who Hurricane was, <laughs> but everyone <laughs> knew British Song Child. But uh, it's okay. I mean, like, uh, we managed to pull in the older crowd who knew um, the Hurricane and we managed yeah. to pull in the younger crowd who knew the British Song Child. So it was all good. So recently got some great news that came out. Uh, you mentioned him earlier, Booker T told you, look, if you, if you haven't got a scene, make a scene. And that's something that you've gone and here you are six years later, getting an invitation from Booker T to go down to America for a reality of wrestling. Like, first of like, what's, I can see like the pride in your smile there as we was talking about it. <laughs> like, how, how does that feel that Booker T, Hall of Famer, and somebody that inspired you to create the wrestling scene in Malaysia is now wanting you on his show. Um, Booker T is pretty much the nail in the coffin. Like, um, like despite having the hurricane and Tajiri telling me that um, I work like a, I work like a pro, yeah. like someone who is supposed to be um, like 15, 20 years in the, in the business. Um, I still have self doubt because I've, I've, I've always thought that, you know what, maybe because uh, I'm a promoter and maybe because they want me to bring them back down or something. Like, I've always had this self-doubt. Like, I've always tried to find um, negative things that might bring yeah. me down. It, it's just one of my traits. And, uh, but, like, Booker T, he didn't have any reason whatsoever to say all those good things about me. So it happened in a way where um, I did this personal coaching session with him where um, he watched my match and he gave me um, feedback of uh, how to improve and whatnot. Yeah. So as we were watching the match, we started out with him very serious. Like he wasn't smiling, and he was very um, he, he was very uh, I was scared of him. I was intimidated. He was working, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as we were watching the match, he started smiling and he started asking me questions. Um, like uh, so um, I just, uh, tell me um, what what's the role of a baby face? So I explained to him, da, 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 da. and so well, how do you think um, the heels should work? So I explained to him why not, and he just smiled even bigger, and he's like, you know what, you know your stuff. And then um, he started going on about like, um, out of all the matches that he watched the entire month, like, mine was the only match that made him emotionally invested. So um, when he said that, like I was mm-hmm. like, no way, like no way, this is this is Booker T, like two times WWE Hall of Famer saying this to me. And he went on saying that um, I am literally the, the, the definition of talent and the way I work is beyond my years. Like I work like someone who has been in the industry for over 20 years. Like I know my stuff. And he says that um, he has seen guys in the industry who has worked for 15, over 20 years. Like they still don't know what they're doing in the ring. <laughs> and uh, to hear him say that is very, uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, like uh, it was so serial. Like I wish I had a recording of it. <laughs> But I, I couldn't because um, it was he was the one hosting the Zoom session, so I yeah. couldn't record it. But um, it was crazy. Um, he was saying all these things about about me, like um, how he couldn't, you know, say anything bad about a match. It was perfect. Uh, the way I was working was perfect. Um, I made the guy look amazing in the ring and whatnot. Uh, the only thing he had to comment was the match went longer than it should. Uh, yeah. And he said that this speaks volume on my my um, talent as a performer and that was when um so after the entire coaching session 
at the same during the same session itself, he told me like, uh, you know what? Uh, I told my director, uh, this this boy is talented. Like, I want to bring you down. So uh, he'll contact you and discuss the details and whatnot. Uh, so welcome to the LTF Wrestling. And I was like, wow, no way. <laughs> it's crazy. What What was your family's reaction when you told them that Booker T wanted you to join Reality of Wrestling? Like the first person I told was my wife, and it was uh, I think it was five in the morning at that time because other time zone difference. Yeah. Uh, told my wife, and she started crying as well because uh, it's like six years of struggle and six years of uncertainty. And finally, you have someone like Pukati saying these things to you. So she was very proud of me. And then um, I told my sisters, and they they were very excited as well because like they they grew up watching wrestling. They're still they're still huge fans of wrestling. And what I love about my sisters is they watch wrestling as a fan. They don't try to become smart. They don't try to analyze too much and whatnot. Yeah. Just enjoy it as it is. So like for them, they were marking out as well for to hear Pukati say such things and whatnot. And every time when um Charmel, uh, Bukiti's wife, liked my uh, she she would usually like my stuff on Instagram. Like <laughs> so every time when they see her name liking my stuff, they'll screen cap it and send it to me, like, hey, look, uh, <laughs> look who just like your post and whatnot. So like everyone's very happy for me. Um my students are dumbfounded, like they cannot believe that this is happening as well. Uh, I am even more uh <laughs> dumbfounded, like I, I can't believe what is going on. Like uh it's like a dream come true, literally. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to it, and it's something definitely check out. I'm excited to see um, you go on it, and again, it's something like not to blow smoke up your ass or whatever, but something <laughs> you deserve really. Um, it's you've created a wrestling scene out of nothing, and then um, one of your students is in Australia, another of your students, uh, first CW pro wrestler, came over to the UK. And now you're getting your turn. Hopefully it will be this year and the pandemic will ease and we can start doing shows again. Um, but it's it's exciting. And what's what's your mindset going into? Like we mentioned earlier, what it's like when you work in different regions in Asia, but now you're going to be working in a completely different region in a different continent in America. What's like, what is your thoughts about that? Uh, so this is very interesting as well because... Um... In Southeast Asia, I'm known as the godfather of uh, Malaysia Pro Wrestling. So I already have some weight behind my name. So every time when I make my debut in certain countries, they already know who I am. So everyone yeah. reacts accordingly. But I'll be debuting in, in America where they haven't seen or heard of me before. Um, and I'm pretty small as compared to the guys there because um, I'm only 5'8", five, 5'8", five, five eight, eight inches. I'm very small in size. Um, the first thing I did was I went back to the drawing board. Like uh, I sat down and I thought to myself, how can I appeal to the American audience? Like I sat down and um, reconstructed my character. How can I be more unique, but at the same time, some someone who they can relate to and get behind? And um, I started working out like crazy as well. Put myself on a diet because like um, I want to go there and make the best first impression that I can because yeah. first impression is the lasting impression. So like for me, uh, ever since I received the offer, I've done nothing but put 100% effort into my character, my work rate, and even uh, my diet and my gym. What advice has Booker T given you um, about you coming over to Reality of Wrestling? 
we haven't had a chance to uh, talk much after the yeah. offer. Like I've only been in touch with um, his wife as well as um, his director for Reality of Wrestling, uh, Kevin. So um, there will come a time when he will eventually speak to me. And I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. <laughs> no, 100%. So what other goals have you got in professional wrestling? I think for now, um, I'm the kind of guy who always have um, realistic short-term goals first before I go for longer-term uh, longer goals. Yeah. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to make a very, very good impression in reality of wrestling. I want to be, want to get over uh, there. Like I want to be someone who the crowd loves if I'm a babyface or someone who they hate as a heel. I want them to want to see more of me. So that's my first goal. Like, just go there, make an impression, and I want them to want me keep coming back for more. Yeah. Is the if you try and think of like a little bit longer, longer term, what will go with Malaysian Pro Wrestling first? What are your goals for NYPW? I have uh, never stopped. I'm looking for sponsors uh, for yep. Malaysian Pro Wrestling, mainly because we have done it before. So I'm pretty sure that. Um, I just need to brush up on maybe my pitching skills or whatnot. And maybe I need to position my PW in a, in a, in a place where um, these sponsors might see us as some, something valuable, that something yeah. worth investing in. So I've never stopped doing it. I've still been approaching companies and whatnot. And I do believe like one day we will eventually hit the jackpot. We will eventually get our sponsors. But until then, especially with the pandemic, <laughs> Um, what I plan to do is uh, I'm just going to keep doing all these um, empty arena shows as much as I can. Just yeah. turn out more content for people to um, indulge in because um, I think one of the things that is lacking in Southeast Asia Wrestling is content. I think yeah. the best um, out there is PWR right now because they, they have contents like every single week. And it's so amazing. Uh, something that I look up to, uh, to them and it's something that I want to do as well. So more content try to get sponsors, and become great again. And yeah, no, I'm sure it will. And you mentioned the empty arena shows. I want to touch upon that. Like, how does it feel for you to adjust to having no crowd there for your reactions? And how are you finding that? All right. So um, what I tell my students when we want, because right now you're already on a planning stage, yeah. as soon as the government allows us to... Um, to go to our gym because right now gyms are not allowed to open. Uh, the first thing that I tell them is I want you guys to perform like you would in front of a crowd because uh, when you go into the ring, leave your heart inside it. Like you need to perform 110%, give your all. And you have to remember that even though there's no one watching you live, uh, yeah. there's still the camera and there'll be 50,000 people who's going to watch you online. So you have to put your heart in it and try to translate that emotion through the camera so the people at home watching you might be able to feel what you're trying to tell. Yeah, no, 100%. So long-term goal for yourself as a pro wrestler, what, what's what's on that bucket list? Is there any countries you wanting to travel to to wrestle? Are you wanting to be that first Malaysian wrestler on WWE? Like, what's your goals? Like, honestly, I believe now... Um, just based on how realistic it is. I do believe that um, out of everyone in Malaysia, Phoenix is the first person who will make it to WWE first. Wholeheartedly believe that because um, she is unique, she's marketable, she's a package. She's just ready to go out there and make a name for herself. She even made the Forbes list. So it's like, she's just, she's just ready to be there. It's yeah. just a matter of time. 
But um, I think the first thing that I want to do is I want to become the first Malaysian to uh, be well known in the uh, independent scene first. Because um, uh, for me, like, I do believe in and dreaming big and targeting things big, but I also do believe in um, realistic goals. The first thing I want to do is I want to get to reality of wrestling, maybe win championships there, and maybe make a name for myself in other promotions like um, ROH or uh, maybe um, Dragon Gate or anywhere that I can go to. Uh, yeah. And then maybe NXT. <laughs> no, 100%. So let people know, where can they find you on social media? Where can they find Malaysian Pro Wrestling? And where can, where can they support you? Where can they watch your content? Um, I do believe that, uh, especially of right now, because due to the pandemic, I think this is the perfect time to um, create as many content as possible. And, yeah. and this is the perfect time for us to let the fans know who we are. Um, I don't know why I feel like it's a bit weird calling my fans fans, because <laughs> I, I, I don't see myself at that level yet where I should have fans. I, I would call them my supporters. Yeah. <laughs> So um, I do believe that this is the perfect time for my supporters to get to know me, um, what I believe in, my values and my philosophies. And as well, uh, I just want to be someone who inspires people. I want to be someone who is a good role model to everyone who watches me. Yeah. So where where can they find and watch your content? Sorry? Where can they find your shows to watch online or anything like that? So um, my personal stuff, you can uh, follow me on Instagram. It's um, at Fonseca. Uh, I'm very active there. But uh, for more Malaysia Pro Wrestling stuff, you can go to um, our Facebook and just look up uh, Malaysia Pro Wrestling. We also have a Patreon uh, where we come out with more exclusive content. Uh, so feel free to um, join us and uh, subscribe to us on Patreon as well because it really helps. No, 100%. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. Um, it's probably been one of my more enjoyable ones because I've learned so much more about the Malaysian pro wrestling scene. And uh, again, the best of luck with reality of wrestling. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. And we'll have to get you back on maybe a year's time after you've had your experience with reality of wrestling. We'll get you back on the show and we'll talk about that experience. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Always use your head.